Well, good morning, everyone. Um, if you will read the Bible, it's, it's uh, in the Old Testament. Exodus, Genesis, Exodus. <laughs> not like my pupils, it's not Genesis to Revelations, it's Genesis to Revelation. And the second book in the Bible is Exodus, the story of God's deliverance out of Egypt, of the people of God, the Jews. Exodus chapter 3 verse 1 Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro his father-in-law, the priest of Midian and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush Moses saw that though the bush was in fire it did not burn up so Moses thought I will go over and see this strange sight why the bush does not burn up When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of the slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressed. Them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people the Israelites out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Isn't that a wonderful passage? Uh, That was the the first uh, many uh, paper I submitted when I started my PhD studies on the Hebrew text of Exodus chapter 3 a key question from a pagan ruler I'm going to move two chapters on to chapter 5 and the text for today and it's it's very very late um, uh, is Exodus 5 2 Pharaoh said Who is the Lord that I should obey him? That's a tremendous text, isn't it? 
my principal said, even if they don't get a good sermon, make sure they get a decent text. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? That's a good question for us today. And there's three simple questions arise from it. Number one, does he exist? Is there a God? There are various arguments we can produce. Um, the rational argument is the need for worship. Whenever you go in the world, you find folk worshipping. Sometimes they worship hills and rivers and streams and sometimes stones. I know a missionary in Peru and this uh, <coughs> descendant of the Incas in Peru handed him this piece of stone. It was shaped like a llama, you know, and said, Si, senor, it sweats. He thought it was alive. And people worship all sorts of things. Everywhere you go in the world, you find folk. We seem to have this built-in need to worship. Man, woman, humanity <clears throat> is made with a built-in capacity for worship, which only God can fill. The rational argument. The natural argument. If you're walking on the beach, Paley said, um, and you find a watch... Well, here's my watch, you know. Um, you pick up the watch and you think, oh, hey, that's a nice wee watch, isn't it? It's sort of silvery and shiny. Um, and it's got hands that are obviously regulated and there's wee hands going round. And you open up the back, you see all the works in it. And you say, that's well designed, that wee watch. Somebody must have designed it. And so we argue from the design to the designer. And that's the world in which we live. We're not so far away from the sun that we're frozen or too near the sun so that we're cooked. We complain about the climate but we get good, we get good weather sometimes, you know. Somebody went in for a haircut and missed the summer last year. But, um, yeah. <laughs> but, we're the right distance from the sun there's the right proportion of land to water there's enough food on the planet it's greed's a problem on the planet, not lack of food you can think of the microcosm, you ever go to a, one of these places where you, you lie back in a big city and watch the, the the lights go out and they show you space, you know, planetarium in London in uh, Marylebone Road uh, just opposite the college where I studied we had Madame Tussauds and we had the planetarium and this dreamy soporific voice comes on describing the planets to you and you fall asleep <laughs> and, and uh, you've wasted your money again no, but um, you think of the immensity of space you know, and it says uh, in Genesis 1 P.S. you know, he also made the planets you know what a wonderful God he made the stars, he made the planets he made the immensity of space and you look through a microscope and you see God in micro, microcosm his hand is in that as well the natural argument seeing design arguing to, to the designer there's a scriptural argument the, the Bible doesn't prove that God exists the Bible assumes he exists that's the Genesis 1.1 in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and um, those who come to God the writer to the Hebrews says in chapter 11 verse 6 must believe that he exists and that he is the rewarder of those who earnestly seek him so God's existence 
is assumed and not proved. There's a whole lot of things like providence and prayer, miracle and conscience that give us indications that God exists. That's the first question. I'm being very quick, okay? Here's the second question. What is he like? Is he the kind of God that gets you chopping off people's hands and chopping off their heads? Is he the God that believes in carpet bombing? I mean, that's nothing to do with God. That's the evil sin in human hearts. That's the problem with our planet. What is this God like? Is he worth trusting? I'll give you a few things about him. First of all, he's a kindly God. And he was a kindly God dealing with the slave population of Egypt. That was the Jews. They were brought into bondage in Egypt. And they built probably the treasure cities of Pythom and Ramesses mentioned in Exodus during the reign of either Sethos I or Ramesses II. Many hundreds of years before the time of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you want to find God in the Old Testament, you don't look in the palaces and the big temples. You find God in the slime pits and the slave camps and places like that where the the Jews were in Egypt and he says I'm upset God says to Moses I'm upset about my people I'm upset because they're suffering because they were beaten because I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I've come to bring them out he's a kindly God He's a friend of minorities. He's a living God. And so, as ordinary people, we can know him. Abraham Lincoln said, God must have loved the ordinary people. He made so many of them. (laughs) He loves the ordinary people. He's a kindly God. The friend of minorities. The friend of people in Moody's Burn. He's a living God present with his people. In fact, in Mark chapter 12, which Matthew Henry calls a day of questions and the question of the day, the Lord Jesus Christ says to them uh, (coughs) what God says here in Exodus 3. He said, if God is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, Jesus' argument is, If he's the God of these gods simultaneously, then he must be alive in his presence. And he says, God is not the God of the dead, he's the God of the living. In Mark chapter 12, he's a living God, present with his people. He's the I am. And Moses was told to tell him that. He's the I am. And what I say to you today is, God is the I am of whatever situation you find yourself in. It might be a difficult situation. It might be a situation of joy and celebration as we've had this morning. It might be some exam failure, job interview, um, a family quarrel, a personal illness. Whatever it is, God is in it. And sometimes it's very, very hard. When I was a teenager in Lamhill Mission with Jean... Um, there was a young fella came, a missionary from the Worldwide Evangelization Crusade. Um, uh, 
I should have written this down. Fred Orr. His name was Fred Orr. And he went as a missionary to Brazil. And the last stage of his journey to the, the, the villages uh, in Brazil on the, on the edge of the Amazon was to take his wife in a dugout canoe up to that village in the last stage of his journey. His wife died in the dugout canoe. And Fred Orr's first task as a missionary in that village was to dig a hole and bury his wife. Can you imagine it? And yet, here was Fred Orr, full of the joy of the Lord, standing up, telling how God was with him. And even that situation, God says, I am. You can get in very difficult situations. We had a lady came to our church. Uh, she was emaciated, she was dressed in rags, she was just a poor thing, my mother would have said. A poor thing. And uh, I went to see, when I, when I met her, saw her coming to church, I must go and visit that lady. And I went to see her husband, and all the violence in my system rose up when I met her husband. I just, have you ever met somebody you just didn't like from day one, from minute one? I just didn't like this man. And he put her out in the street to earn money to pay for his habit. And I got a funeral. The undertaker told me in the hearse she had the body of an 80-year-old, although she was only 58-year-old. I had to go to the mental hospital to collect her son to go to his mother's funeral. He was one of our youth fellowship boys. And as if God was adding insult to injury, a few months later, the undertaker got in touch with me. The husband had died. Could I do his cremation service? And I don't know how you would have felt. I know how I felt. I felt I didn't want to, I didn't want to do that, but I would do it. And including the undertaker, there were nine at the funeral. I remember it was a bitterly cold morning. Um, and remember when his mother was buried I took J Jimmy back to the mental hospital took him for a cup of tea and had a chat with him and put him back in the, in the mental hospital and this, this situation was so bad and I, th I thought I needed the Lord's special presence I am with you God said to Moses I am has sent you he's the I am of any situation you find yourself like he's a living God, he's a kindly God, he's a holy God the fire phenomena were here get your shoes off, you're standing on holy ground Moses um, and God is a holy God separate from sin dedicated to purity negatively to positively, he's a holy God and he's a powerful God he gives this name it occurs, you'll see it in your Bible, it's all in capital letters, every time you look, well most of the time you look, you'll see the name Lord in capital letters, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, and um, it's, it's the most frequently used title for God in the Old Testament, it occurs over 6,000 times in the Old Testament, and the King James translators had Jehovah, because they transliterated um, what was really a hybrid word, Yahuwah. But the modern scholars think the original name was Yahweh. Part of the verb to be, it's a word of, <coughs> uh, it's a word of constancy. 
the I am the one who causes to be what comes into existence is the name of creation is the great creator of the world in which we live um, it's a name of crisis in any crisis God is the I am it's a name of covenant because God is not a fickle capricious God that's here today and gone tomorrow the Lord Jesus Christ said lo I am with you always even to the end of the age and the letter to the Hebrews says Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever we can rely on him and he delivers he delivers he delivered them from Egypt and through Christ he delivers us from sin that's why he gave his body and shed his blood on the cross for us how does that affect me? that's the third question does he exist? second question what is he like? third question how does that affect me? well 17 tells you um, verse 30 I think in Acts 17 in the past God overlooked such ignorance that was the ignorance of pagan images but now he commands all people everywhere to repent for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed he has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead well it's pretty, it's pretty wholehearted it's pretty universal it's pretty inclusive isn't it God now commands all people everywhere to repent what does that mean and to believe the word trust came up on the screen a wee while ago we were singing about it to repent and to believe that's our responsibility um, to repent means to change our mind metanoia is the Greek word in the New Testament it means to change your mind and it implies a change of direction and it's not just feeling sorry it's feeling sorry enough to quit and feeling sorry enough to turn and go God's way instead of our way you know somebody was driving Northern Ireland I said is this the way to Belfast and the Irishman said sure it is if you just turn and go in the opposite direction <laughs> And God wants us to turn and go in the opposite direction. Instead of following our own way, we follow God's way. And we trust him. You know, I used to put boys down the cliff, I've told you, 80 foot cliff. We boys with terror-stricken faces, scared to go down. I said, it's no problem, you understand? I wouldn't go down, I was scared stiff. It took me seven years to go down. But I sent dozens of wee boys down, believing what I said. <laughs> I says, do you feel like a human fly, son? You just go down. It's further back you lean so that your right angle's to the cliff face. No problem. All you have to do is rely on the safety man. He'll look after you. If, any, if you fall or anything, the safety man up there, he'll look after you. And then you would put the wee boys down and go, ah, that's great, that's great. You know? And any time you had a space in the program, would anyone like to go abseiling? Hi, me, me. You know? Why was that? Well, you see, they learn to trust the safety man. And the glory of trusting God is to know Christ as your saviour and your friend. The responsibility to repent and believe. My prayer, everybody in here should repent and everybody in here should believe. And then keep on doing it. <laughs>